The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Mind Body Pause with Charlie Kale. Holistic living for you and your animals. You found your happy place to nurture your connection to animals with enlightening information from the innovators who make their world a better place. This is Mind Body Pause on Empower Radio. Now, here's your host, fellow animal lover, Charlie Kale. Hello and welcome to Mind Body Pause, holistic living for you and your animals. Thank you for being here. This is show number 24, Growing a Guide Dog with Chris Benninger. I'm Charlie Kale, a passionate dog and cat mom, broadcaster, and Reiki practitioner in San Francisco at Energy Healing for People and Paws. I do distant healings for humans or animals over the phone or Skype, as well as in-person appointments, because energy transcends space and time. Find out more at charliekale.com. This is your safe place to honor animals, where we'll nurture our connection to them mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. With each show, I try to learn something new and expand my field of consciousness in hopes that we're doing that together. My guest is the president and CEO of an incredible nonprofit organization, Guide Dogs for the Blind. Before that, she spent 17 years leading the Humane Society Silicon Valley, helping to save the lives of tens of thousands of animals and greatly reducing pet overpopulation problems. She also serves on the board for nonprofit Wildlife Impact, which is passionately committed to protecting the diversity of wildlife and natural habitats throughout the world. And when she's not making the world a better place, she's enjoying it by traveling, hiking, biking, and hanging out with her four dogs, Hank, a basset hound, Bess, a three-legged cattle dog mix, Petey, a chihuahua, and Thea, a career change golden retriever who now serves as an ambassador for guide dogs for the blind. Welcome, Chris Benninger. Thank you, Charlie. It's great to be here. Oh, it's phenomenal because Guide Dogs for the Blind seems amazing. You're the largest guide dog school in the country with a campus in Boring, Oregon, and one in San Rafael, California, which is just a little north of me in San Francisco. But you are far more than just training service dogs. Can you tell me a little bit about your mission? Yes, actually, um, and I appreciate you asking because we are much more than just training really cool dogs to do great things. Our mission really is to give independence to those with visual impairments. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's it's amazing how uh, many programs you have. And you provide services to students from the United States and Canada as well? We do. So we cover all of North America. We, um, excuse me, um, in general, you have to be about 16 years of age to qualify for a guide dog, and there is no upper limit. In fact, just a few months ago, we graduated a client with her first guide dog at the age of 91. Oh, that's wonderful. And what does it cost? 
So um, that's another wonderful thing about Guide Dogs for the Blind. All of our services are free, and that includes transportation out to our campus where you will live with us for two weeks while you're training with your dog, transportation home, as well as we pay for all the veterinary costs for your guide dog throughout your guide dog's life. And we receive no government funding, and we are uh, reliant completely on the support of our communities for the work that we do. I know that blows my mind. Free. That, that, that's such a beautiful, wonderful, loving, compassionate thing. And so we're going to talk about more ways people can help before I let you go. But what kind of dogs do you use? So we use labs and golden retrievers, and then we also breed a cross between the two. We have the largest breeding colony of labs and golden retrievers um, anywhere in North America. And we choose those two breeds because they, um, one, are very sociable dogs. They love people, and that's, that's part of being a guide dog is really loving people. They love to work. They um, can also be taught to walk in a straight line, which uh, which is also important for being a guide dog. And not all go- not all dogs can do that. No kidding. So no German shepherds anymore, or not we that you maybe ever German used them, but um, you, you just in the past you remember you know quote unquote seeing eye dogs, and so many of them were shepherds, German shepherds. Exactly. And in fact, we had shepherds up until about 15 years ago. And the reason that shepherds were originally introduced as guide dogs was because um, all guide schools in the U.S. actually started either after World War I or World War II um, to serve veterans that were blinded in the war. And the first guide dog trainers were military dog trainers, and military dogs traditionally have been German shepherds. But as, you know, and in fact, we used shepherds for the first 60 years, actually, that guide dogs was in existence. Wow. But what we found, right, is that, um, honestly, shepherds, they don't make the best guide dogs, and guide dog work isn't really the thing that they like to do. They're very protective, which is why they make great police dogs. But that overprotectiveness can be a problem for our clients when they're in a social situation because the guide dogs oftentimes would protect their person from anybody coming up and speaking with them, and that's not really what you want. Right. Our clients really, right. You know, I mean, one of the things that people don't realize is that blindness is very isolating. We connect through sight. You know, I can see somebody across the room and I can connect with them because we can see each other. If you can't see, it's very difficult to connect with your community. So a guide dog actually provides that bridge for you. And that's why having a dog that's really sociable is so important because, you know, somebody with a visual impairment is is no different than somebody who's sighted. We all crave, you know, social interaction. We all want to be a part of our community. And so having a dog that helps us do that is really important. 
Right, right. Um, my German Shepherd is kind of um, supercharged on the sociability scale. So <laughs> she wouldn't make a good guide dog because she'd be charging up to every person saying, come on, mommy, meet this person and this person. And come on, mommy, meet this dog across the street. I mean, she'd be, you know, too sociable. So that yeah. <laughs> she, she's relieved. Oh, too. and there are there's <laughs> very many, many sociable um, uh, German Shepherds. But for us, only about 10% of the shepherds ever made it through as a guide dog. So that's, um, it's hard to put all of that effort and only, you know, one out of 10 actually makes it through. And something you said, I really appreciated. That's not their favorite thing to do. You know what? Let, let an animal love what they're doing. Right. So, and, exactly. and, and these dogs do. Oh, Your dogs. absolutely. They yeah. Do. Right. Uh, so we, uh, they do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking with Chris Benninger, the president and CEO of the nine uh, the nonprofit Guide Dogs for the Blind at guidedogs.com. Wow, they definitely got that, you know, uh, website address early on in in the internet, you know, <laughs> creation guidedogs.com. How perfect is that? <laughs> um <laughs> right. Exactly. So, oh, I know I was reading, too, about ever using rescue dogs from local shelters, but uh, I, I said that you, it said that guide dogs did try to do that in the past, but it took an enormous amount of manpower for the resources to go find them. And then uh, the dogs, you know, didn't really qualify. Maybe they didn't pass the basic health screen or they didn't have the confidence they needed. The, uh, they were too distracted or had orthopedic or eye diseases. It, exactly. And, you know, I spent 17 years with Humane Society of Silicon Valley. I, I'm a huge believer in rescue dogs. I have three rescue dogs of my own. But, you know, when I came here and I saw everything that it takes in order to make a guide dog, we actually start socializing and training our puppies at the age of three days. So we employ a geneticist. We work closely on genetics with UC Davis. The creation of a guide dog and all of the traits that are needed in order to do this very special job, it literally starts at the DNA level, and that training starts almost at, at the time of birth. And there's just no way that you can get all of that, you know, from a rescue dog whom you have no um, history on really understanding what their background is, what their medical propensities might be, um, any of that. So um, that is why guide dogs breed their own dogs for this work. It makes sense. I understand it. And, you know, why force a rescue dog into something that they don't feel that they can do? Uh, and I know I, I, I'm a huge proponent of rescuing as well. Uh, all my dogs, my cats are rescues too, but there are other things they can do, like provide us with companionship in our life. <laughs> you know, it will, right. will, right. will be their little eyes or whatever. So yeah, I get it. Different, different jobs for different animals, which is the way it should be with people too. <laughs> right. um, <Exactly. laughs> what happened? Oh, 
no, don't worry, little Brooke. You're not going to be a guide dog. Sorry. He's, uh, he's chiming in. <laughs> he's, he's my tiny little Chihuahua, um, terrier mix. Oh. Super protective. Well, I know. Well, my, yeah, they, they think they can do it. My Chihuahua thinks he can do it. He's just a little bit height challenged. <laughs> he's so. height challenged and he would keep everyone away from me. No, I want mommy's affection for me. <laughs> That's so, right. What happens to the dogs after they can't serve as a service dog anymore? Now, your Thea sounds like she's a lucky one. She gets to be with you now and retired, but an ambassador. She does. She does. So we call it career change. So not every single one of our dogs that we breed and train makes it all the way through to guide. Um, Guide work is the most complicated of all types of service work, and the reason for that is is because guide dogs have to make independent decisions for their person in order to keep them safe, and they have to be willing to disobey a command in order to keep their person safe. So an example of that is if they're given a command to cross the street because their person you know, can hear that the light has changed and, you know, it's saying, you know, it's, it's safe to cross, but they're not hearing the Prius that's about to turn the corner. The guide dog has to disobey that command and pull their person away from the street. Now that takes a lot of confidence. Wow. What I like to say is that how many of us have the confidence to say no to our boss? Not many of us. Right. No, <laughs> that's the truth. So it takes a very special dog to be able to do this work. So right now, only about 42% of the dogs that we breed make it all the way through as guide. The, guide, the dogs that don't make it through and are career changed, the vast majority of those dogs either are placed um, in what we call a canine buddy situation. So we have dogs that we provide to children who are blind or visually impaired and not yet old enough to use a guide dog, but it helps to, you know, build their confidence around a dog and it just helps to build their confidence in general by having that best buddy. Oh my, wow, that's awesome. we work with... Oh, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, and it's and it's amazing to see kids. And in fact, um, I just you know have an interesting example. We placed a canine buddy about a year and a half ago with a five-year-old, who um, her parents came to us uh, applying for a canine buddy because their daughter was really having a lot of trouble just with daily living, was afraid to do everything, didn't want to go to the bathroom on her own, wouldn't dress on her own. Mommy had to be there all the time. And since she's gotten her canine buddy, she's like, forget it. I'm doing everything on my own. And she's making friends at school. And, you know, it just, it couldn't be better because, you know, um, her canine buddy has really sort of allowed her to step out and be an independent little individual. That is so wonderful. Isn't it great? Oh, definitely. Um, You know, I've I've been hearing or... 
sorry, mm-hmm. I've, I've been reading that um, also now that some organizations are teaching their guide dogs to read, as in read signs or be able to detect the difference in letters. Interesting. I ha- I'm not aware of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am not. A- guide dog organizations? Uh, yes, I don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll tell you which oh, one it was. It, it was one that yeah. I was actually talking yeah. with. Um, and I don't remember which one, but it's one that I was talking with in the Bay Area. Yeah, that she said that they're working on that with uh, their dogs and they're getting some results where they're actually reading. It's amazing. You know, that's, like stop. Interesting. Not the color, but, you know, how some things, you know, it might say stop, but it, not in a, in a stop sign shape or red. And so the dog is learning to read the letters. Yeah, I, I, I just, wow. Mm. I thought that was so wonderful. And I didn't know if you were working with that at all. Yeah, we don't. I'm, I'm not a, no, we, we definitely don't. But <laughs> we, through positive reinforcement training, we do, uh, we teach our dogs uh, something called targeting. So let's say you are somebody who, um, you're always carrying, you know, a bottle of water with you and, um, you know, you want to know where the recycle bins are as you're traveling down the street or, you know, where they are at work. You can teach your dog what a recycle bin looks like. And no matter where you are, I mean, you can be in a, in a neighborhood that you've never been to before, your dog will take you to the nearest recycle bin. Wow. um, you know, you can target that where our clients um, use it quite often is you're, you walk into a room and you want to go sit down, but you can't see, so you do not know where the empty seats are. So you can teach your dog to target the empty seat and take you to the nearest empty seat. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I'm talking with Chris Benninger, the president and CEO of the nonprofit Guide Dogs for the Blind at guidedogs.com. What is going on with all the fraudulent paperwork being given out for support animals these days? Do you know oh, what I'm wow. talking about? I do, I do, oh, I do. And I, yeah, I, I don't mean really to open up a huge can of words, but, but oh, no, it's such an important issue and it's something that everybody needs to be aware of and because it it's not really by by fraudulently um declaring that your dog's an emotional support dog or a therapy dog when in essence they haven't had the training to do that you're putting them into social situations that are very stressful for them so it's not good um and they can lash out. Now, the problem that that's occurring, we see it all the times now on airplanes. I travel a lot. I, I swear there are times I'm in airports and I think I'm at a dog park. Oh. There's so many people who I understand wanting to travel with their dog and they say they're emotional support animals, but it actually puts at risk a true service dog. 
So we've had multiple, multiple of our clients that have their dogs, they and their dogs have been attacked oh. by these supposedly emotional support animals. Um, the problem with that is that our dogs don't fight back and just one attack can be enough for a dog to lose its confidence and stop guiding. Oh my gosh. And that's huge. That's huge for one of our clients because that relationship that one has with one's guide dog oftentimes is stronger than you have in a marriage, than you have with your children. This is somebody who supports you and loves you 24-7, is with you 24-7. So all of a sudden having to retire your guide dog is a huge problem. Oh, my but, gosh, yes. You know, I, I, I have friends who will tell me, yeah, you know, it's really great. You know, I just, you know, I got this certificate and I can now travel with my dog, you know, in cabin. It's great. I get why people want to do that. But it it really puts other passengers, other service dogs at risk. And quite frankly, you're asking your dog to do something that is they're not trained to do. So it's extremely ex- stressful for them, which is why they're acting out. Wow. I know I won't put any of my animals in the cargo hold of a plane because I've been asked to fly mm-hmm. places before and, and said, you know, you can fly your cats out later or your dogs out later to move. And I was like, no, I'll drive cross country. I'm not putting any yeah. of them in the cargo hold ever. So I do right. get it. Why I thought, Oh, I'd love to get a certificate to, to have my, uh, at least my little dog, if not my big German shepherd, you know, um, with me on a plane. But hearing this, I had no idea, had no idea about, these it's a very sad the ramifications and uh are you able to advise airlines we do we are asked all the time actually and airlines are um starting to actually put in restrictions with regards to emotional support animals and requiring emotional support animals now to be um, actually crated um, if you're going to be bringing them onto the plane. So that precludes having, you know, a large dog that you can't crate to be able to do that. Mm. So, you know, I, I look at everything that goes into the training of the guide dog to prepare them for something like airplane travel. We are taking our puppies, and we we work with Alaska Airlines, who provides us with flight simulation opportunities for our puppy raisers to take puppies onto their planes, um, and you know to feel the vibrations, to start to get used to being in these confined spaces, because the guide dog is trained to actually curl up underneath the seat in front of you and to quietly stay there throughout the flight. Yeah. Wow. So all of that starts when, you know, these babies are 20 weeks old and all the way up. So a lot of training goes into just a dog being able to handle the stresses of an airline flight. And unless you've done that with your own dog, most people haven't. It's, very difficult to 
be right. to, uh, it's very difficult for your dog. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you all for all of that extremely important information for us all to take into consideration now. So let's lighten the mood. Let's go to the movies. Okay. There's, there's a recent film out called Pick of the Litter, which followed a litter of puppies yeah. on their journey to becoming guide dogs. How accurately did they depict you? They did an amazing job. We so the editing was fair. Were, <laughs> the editing was fair. It really was. Um, we had documentary filmmakers following a litter of five puppies for two years with us. And it's always a little scary inviting somebody in and being completely open and honest about what you're doing and making certain that they understand how to, you know, put your story forward. But they did, the filmmakers did an excellent job of portraying, you know, everything that it takes in order to become a guide dog. That's awesome. The movie, again, is called Pick of the Litter. Is it, uh, if people Google it, can they download it or something? Um, download it or, you or can. You can is it still? It. Yep, you can stream it. You can um there's there's a number of streaming channels that you can stream it on um Hulu you can uh you can get it on Amazon um you can if you're if you're flying across country you can see it on the airplane Oh nice can, Yeah oh, it's very love it's it. terrific yeah so how can people support Guide Dogs for the Blind, now that you've heard what an amazing organization this is, um, through any which way, through volunteering, through puppy raising, through donations? Yeah, so we um, are completely supported by our communities in every single thing that we do. So we don't charge for our services. Um, if you're inspired by our mission, please do support us with a donation. In addition to that, we are always looking for volunteers, either to volunteer on our campus here in San Rafael or our campus outside of Portland. We are constantly looking for puppy raisers. We currently employ, they're all volunteers. Um, we have 2,000 puppy raisers in the 10 Western states as far east as Texas. And we are um, always looking for puppy raisers who would be interested in joining one of our puppy clubs and raising one of our incredible dogs for a year. Um, and we're also looking for um, individuals who would be interested in volunteering um, either to be a breeder custodian. So all of our breeders live in homes within a one-hour radius of our San Rafael campus, um, or foster volunteers. So we're always looking for people who, because not all of our dogs do well within the kennels, and so we're off, oftentimes looking for people who are willing to take, on a foster basis, our dogs into their, their homes while they're in their training. Wonderful. So we are down to a few seconds. Is there one last thing you'd like to impress upon everyone? Um, only that we have just an incredible mission. And as I said, we're completely dependent upon the support of our community. So hopefully people will be inspired.
Perfect. Thank you, Chris Benninger, president and CEO of the nonprofit Guide Dogs for the Blind. You can find out more and all the different ways you can volunteer or donate at guidedogs.com, spelled just like you think, guidedogs.com. Thanks for hanging out with me here on Mind Body Pause, holistic living for you and your animals. I'm Charlie Kale. Check out my Reiki business, Energy Healing for People on Pause, for in-person sessions or distant healing sessions over the phone or on Skype for people or animals at charliekale.com, C-H-A-R-L-Y-K-A-Y-L-E.com. You can find past shows on there. Also, um, past shows on my page at Empower Radio. And please connect with me on social media. Special thanks to Brent Carey, the CEO and founder of Empower Radio, for saving the network from being washed away during a severe storm in Detroit. And to Remy Smith, who I understand went in with Brent and saved all the equipment before their roof collapsed. And for Tony Ficini and his assistant Dave for recording this show in another studio in Detroit. All your efforts are appreciated. Take care and remember, no matter what's going on with your animals, don't beat yourself up thinking you could have done better because you are doing the best you can. They know it. They chose you anyway, and they love you for it. Mind Body Pause is a guilt-free zone. See you next time. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.